We have just been in this series that we're calling the Seventh Floor Series, and it's just a story of really the origin story of our church, of um, who we are, what we want to be about, and I've just been so grateful for just this idea of the gospel coming to life at the table. Tables that are full of anyone and everyone, long tables, low wall, tables that are full of uh, hospitality, grace, acceptance, and diversity. I'm just so excited about the idea of the experience of the gospel at those kinds of tables. I think sometimes that we forget that the early church was spreading and growing in a highly divided world. Um, We talk about the idea of kind of the seventh floor story coming from the chapter of Acts 13. And, and what, we, what we need to remember about Acts 13, it, it was when the gospel kind of came outside of just the group of Jewish people and, and into, the, into the Gentiles. It was truly a gospel for everyone. And Jews and Gentiles did not sit at the same table. Uh, they, did, you know, they did not sit at a table together. And the gospel was beginning to, to bring people together across all divisions, gender divisions, status divisions, socioeconomic economic divisions, political divisions, racial and ethnic divisions, and it was the gospel that was bringing these people together. And the church wasn't growing and the gospel wasn't thriving because of a social system or a political power or an economic system. It was thriving because at the table, reconciliation was happening between people and among groups that nobody else could put together and that no other system or force or sector or power could reconcile. And that's Jesus. That's the gospel. That's what we want to be a part of. That's what we can take and look into our world and our time and space. In many of the same divided circles, the same kind of divisions that we experience, look to the ways of Jesus, look to the early church, look to scripture and say, what does it look like to set those kinds of tables and those kinds of spaces where we can experience the gospel together? Are we tracking? Is that a space that we want to be about? That, that's part of who we want to be here for City. So last week, Leonard, Pastor Leonard, talked to us about this idea of radical hospitality. That's kind of the first, um, one of the first elements of a seventh floor table or a seventh floor space. He talked about seeking understanding. He talked about Jesus being at the center of the table. And today, we're talking about this idea of grace and acceptance. We just got done singing about the grace and acceptance of God, the reckless love of Jesus that, that literally comes for us in the most beautiful of ways. And so we're going to explore this idea of grace and acceptance together as a church this morning. I'm going to pray for us. Father, we're so grateful that you still speak to us, that you still um, have something for us today, that no matter how many church experiences we've had or not had, that you have a fresh word for us. You just have a fresh thing that you want to reveal, a fresh way that we feel your love. And so we pray your Holy Spirit over this place, over this next few minutes, we pray, God, that you be present that you would just be speaking to your people and that we would have eyes and ears to hear. In your name we pray, amen. Well, can you think of a time that you, have, that you were given a gift? Not something that you had to earn, not something that you had to pay for, not something that you, know, um, you had to do something to get, but just a gift. Um, you know, maybe somebody paid for your Starbucks order um, in the line before you in the drive-thru, or maybe somebody gave you an unexpected gift that just communicated worth and, and value to you. And just think about how that made you feel. 
seen and loved, thought of, valued. I was watching um, this video and it was uh, of a guy who had a bunch of free Nike, like fresh Nike shoes. And he went to like the corner of a busy, busy street in a, in a busy city and just started handing shoes out to people and just to see what the reaction was. And it was so interesting to see how people responded. You know, everybody was grateful. You know, nobody turned it down. But there was one interaction in particular where he gave a pair of shoes to this man. It was like a grown adult man in the city, right? And he gave a pair of shoes to him. And the man just, just looked at the shoes and just like needed a minute. Uh, you could tell there was like some emotion happening, some emotion behind receiving the gift. And when he was able to speak, he articulated, this is the first gift I've ever been given. Nobody has ever given me anything before. And it was so interesting. It was these two men. They didn't really look like two men that would probably be hanging out in the same circle in any other context, but they hugged and talked for a little bit. And there is just such power in being given something as a gift, in being given something maybe that you don't deserve or not deserve but just didn't expect or didn't have to do anything for. There's a power there. There's a, a level of being seen and, and heard and valued. There, there's, there's something about this idea of a gift. And this is really the same idea of grace and acceptance. The idea that Jesus would love us and give us grace is essentially a gift. This powerful gift of grace and acceptance that's been extended to us and that when we receive, we have the ability to extend to other people. And that's what we want to talk about a little bit more today. And I think Jesus modeled this idea of grace and acceptance so well. So we're going to turn to John 4. We're going to read the story of the woman at the well. It's one that many of you may be familiar with, um, but Jesus was traveling with his disciples and he passed through Samaria and he um, and engaged and was intentional about talking to a Samaritan woman. So let's pick it up. It says, a woman from Samaria came to draw water. And Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samarian woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. And I just want to stop even before we even fully get into the story and talk a little, a little bit about what Jesus is doing here. Because the first thing that sticks out to me about Jesus' interaction with this woman is the idea of proximity. And when I think about grace and acceptance, I think about this idea of proximity. Jesus intentionally chose to go through a part of town or place that he didn't need to go. Samaria was avoided by the Jewish people. They would literally take the long way around just to avoid having to travel through this area. But this is the place that Jesus chose to go through with his disciples. And then once he got there, he chose to speak to this woman who was alone at the well. Now, going to, the, going to the well, going to draw water in Bible times was, was a communal activity. It was an opportunity for women to go together, to be in each other's company, to build community. And it, so it's interesting that this woman was there alone. And that signifies that she was rejected, that she maybe had a reputation, that there was something unacceptable about her, that she was at the well by herself, also um, at like a unique time of the day when no one else was there. So Jesus goes, goes through the avoided place, and then he intentionally 
gains proximity towards the avoided person. His presence, just by interacting with her, just by approaching the well and talking to her, that did something. That expressed to her that see, he saw her. She was like literally there. She existed. And by engaging with her, he was showing her that she had value, that, that she was worth something. His presence communicated grace and acceptance. He was intentional about proximity. She said, sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? And Jesus says, the water I give will become a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. So what's happening here is that Jesus basically approaches her, he asks her for a drink, and then he continues this conversation. And then he kind of cues the conversation towards like a spiritual meaning, kind of giving her the, the understanding that, hey, like this, this message that I carry, this, this, this gift that I have, like it could be for you too. Like I'm going to start talking to you about this. I'm going to move the conversation this direction. And we see that the second thing that Jesus does is that he saw past the stereotype. He saw past the label. The other day, I was talking to my daughter. Um, her name is Romy. She's three. I feel like I always tell a story about her because that's just my life right now, is like mom life with a three-year-old, and there's just so much going on at this age. But she's got some big feelings. If you know Romy, you've probably seen. And, um, and she also, um, and so we're just kind of talking with her about just naming her feelings, expressing her feelings, just trying to communicate about that so we can just help each other. Um, in life, basically. So um, she was, the other day we were doing a new, I don't know, a new activity or we were somewhere new and I just noticed by the way that she was acting, like she just felt a little like squirmy or anxious or off. And so I said, Romy, are you nervous? And she stopped and looked at me and said, no, I'm Romy. And I thought, that'll preach. That will preach. Don't you put a label on me. Don't you put me in a box. I am Romy. I am me. And I just, I just think about that, and I think about the interaction that Jesus had with this woman. And he pushed past all the labels. And, and what if that's what our presence did for people? What if our presence helped people remember who they are and not who the world has said that they are? What if our presence helped people remember that they are created in the image of God, that they are a child of God, that they are the imago Dei, not based on how they behave or the rules that they follow or how they act or what they believe, but right there as they are, they are a child of God. They are created in his image. And what if it was our presence and our behavior and our interaction, in, in, interaction that helped people see themselves in that way? Are you a single mom on welfare? No, I'm a child of God. Are you a conservative? No, I'm a child of God. Are you a liberal? No, I'm a child of God. Are you just a thug? No. I'm a child of God. Are you an undocumented immigrant? No, I'm a child of God. Are you a foster kid? No, I am a child of God. Do you feel that, church? Do you feel the power of pushing past the labels, of not allowing the names or the stereotypes or the boxes that the world has put people in, but as people who hold the gift of grace and acceptance, bringing that energy to the spaces that we are? I mean, when somebody puts me in a box or, I don't know, maybe criticizes me or says something about me, I think my first reaction is, well, no, 
Like there's more to me than that. There's more beyond just that decision that you made about me or that one interaction that we have. There's more to me. Like is it, is it really that's what we all long for? For there to be room for more than just one interaction, one label, one understanding. Jesus saw past this woman as an outsider, a scandal, a loner, a less than, and he extended the same intention, love and care that he did to any other person. The love of Jesus does not discriminate. It doesn't. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here and draw water. And Jesus said to her, go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, you are right in saying I have no husband for you have had five husbands and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. So it's this, this exchange is, is so interesting. And I, I just really, I want to talk about this a little bit more. Because Jesus had this conversation with this woman, and it was a very real conversation, but he did it in a way that was not judgmental or condemning. Yes, the woman has had an unacceptable relational history. That's really all we know. We don't really know what exactly happened or what that looks like for her. But Jesus doesn't condemn her or judge her, but he does invite her to be fully seen, fully real with him. He exposes her not to condemn her or challenge her or to correct her, but to love her, to bring her to a place of wholeness and freedom. What do you think might have happened if they never talked about the real stuff in this woman's life and he offered her this gift of living water, this spiritual symbol, this gift of freedom and healing and power in him? And she would have walked away from the conversation and thought, but he might, maybe he didn't really know. Maybe he didn't really know who I am. Maybe he didn't really know my past. Maybe he didn't really know what I've done. Maybe he didn't really know what people say about me. Maybe he didn't really know um, my situation at home. Maybe he didn't really know. And she would have been unable to fully receive the gift out of wondering if Jesus really knew. But instead, Jesus invites her to this place of safety. And yes, he goes there with her, but then he extends Love. He extends acceptance. He extends grace. Uh, one, of the, one of the other, I'm just going to talk a lot about parenting today. Are we good with that? Because I have a lot to learn, so it's a good conversation. So um, something else that we're working on with Romy is um, at dinner time, like if we have a new food, trying to just try something new. And then you can decide if you want to eat it or not, but you, you just, you got to take one bite. Okay. Well, the other day we had some meal and she was just not going to do it. And nobody can make Romy do what she doesn't want to do. And it just, it became a whole thing. I mean, it like escalated. She's crying. She's at the table. Then we leave the table and then she's mad that we're gone. It just gets like worse and worse and worse. Finally, we're just like, what are we even doing anymore? I don't remember what we're like, what this is about. And we're just like, do we, what do we do? Do we cave? Do we give in? Well, I don't know. Like this is community. And we're just, Steve and I are just like, just beyond ourselves. And she's just not, she's just digging those heels in that girl. So some of the like parenting Instagram reels and blogs or whatever that I look at are about like connection over correction, right? So I'm like, okay, so how do we connect with her before we correct her, right? Like how, 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 maybe she needs connection. So, um, so we come back and I say, Romy, it's been like at this point, at least a half hour, Romy, I know you can do this. 
This is the rule of the table, but I know you can do it. And I'm just gonna, I'm gonna take your hand and we're gonna do it together. And she looked at me and she took a bite of that meat. Took a bite of that meat, swallowed it right down, right? It was this idea of connection over that when Romy felt isolated and full of shame, she couldn't really do the thing that we needed her to do. But when she felt connection and supported and safety, she was able to change her behavior. I think part of that whole idea of parenting is that shame and power struggles and control, they may produce compliance, but they don't always produce love and healing and the ability to move towards a, a new way because of the value of that person. So we're not perfect. I'm sure we got another lesson probably today. But this idea of connection over correction, I think is the same idea that the space that Jesus created for this woman. He focused on extending grace to her. And in this way, he embodied grace and truth for the purpose of love and authenticity. She said, come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? And she tells everybody else in her village about how Jesus talked with her and saw her and knew her and what the gift that he extended to her. And just think about that for a second. Jesus' choice to... Um, to gain proximity with this, with this person in this village that was misunderstood and his ability to talk with her and meet her and extend a gift to her, that became the story and a testimony that began to alter um, the story of that whole vil village. That it started with the woman who was alone. It started with the woman who was rejected. It started with the woman who didn't fit. And her testimony, her story began to be a story that moved the gospel through that place. You see, grace and acceptance is a limitless expression of the love of Jesus and the power of the gospel. Grace and acceptance is, is the essence of the gospel. So if this is what Jesus modeled, this grace and acceptance, this idea of proximity, this idea, idea of looking past the stereotypes or the label, this idea of, um, what did I just talk about? Come on, guys, help me. No judgment. Hey, we got to do better on that next time, okay? All right. You got to shout it out to me. Um, so if Jesus did all of these things, then what does that mean for us as the church? What does that mean for us as, as followers of Jesus? Because I'm just going to be real real, okay? We're real real in here. I've had so many conversations with people who have no interest in Jesus or in church or in following Jesus because of conversations that they've had with other Christians that make them feel, why would I want to do that? That were judgmental or rude or harsh or preemptive. And I think that's really real. And I think we got to talk about that. And I don't know what that means for us here at Forest City Church, but I, I think just the, the broader church, I think, has to wrestle a little bit with what we say we want to be about versus what we actually do. I think sometimes we have an issue with knowing about a lot of things and, and talking about a lot of things, but really embodying these things. And I think there's a growth area for all of us. There's a growth area for all of us. And I, I, I first want to talk about this idea of acceptance of grace. Acceptance of grace, our own grace. Because you can't take people a place you haven't been. You can't give them something you haven't received. And so I think we just, we got to go back to us and our own relationship with Jesus. I mean, how can you tell if you've been transformed by grace? 
How can you tell if you have received the gift of grace? You haven't just know about it. You don't just talk about it. It has produced change in your life. It has changed your heart. It flows out of you to affect your choices and your behavior and your relationships. The powerful gift of grace should change us. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone and the new is here. All this from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's what? ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, that in him we may become the righteousness of God. You know what? It, st it starts with us and our relationship and what is God's biggest promise to us, it is the gift of reconciliation. Sin separates us from God, but he loves us so much that he has, he is and has always been working to bring us back to him. That's the song we just sang. That's the whole broader story of scripture. He is working to bring us back to him. He will cut through anything to get to us. He will show up in the fire. He will part the seas. He will, he will heal us. He will free us. He will divide the river. He will tear down the wall. He will do anything to get to us. And when God sent Jesus to die on the cross and then raised to life again, he forever cut through the tension of sin and death for you, for me, for us. So when Jesus was on the cross, he took all that we owed for our sin and he experienced the consequences of our sin. Our failure, our pride, our addiction, our sexual sin, our stuff, our mess, Jesus received it and he experienced the consequences for us on the cross. And that makes us right with God. When we put our trust in Jesus, we give him our sin, and in exchange, we are given access to the fullness of God. Now, that math does not make sense because we give our sin, and what he gives back is the fullness of God. And what does that mean? It is the healing of God. It is the freedom of God. It is the love of God. It is the power of God. And when you know Jesus, there is nothing in the room in this way that could not be torn down. There is no wall that will keep you from it. There, there is nothing that will keep you from the love of Jesus. And the math doesn't make sense. It doesn't work out on paper. The value systems don't equate. It is the gift of grace that has been given to you and to me. It starts with the acceptance of our own grace. And to really accept something means that it, it moves in our hearts. It changes us when we've been given a gift, when, we've been, when there's been a trade made like that. If you know anything about my husband, Stephen, you may know he is the Facebook marketplace guy. He is the fit, you guys, you need something, talk to Steven. You know, flip something, talk to Steven. He is wheeling and dealing on these Facebook marketplace runs. I mean, it is not like rare that I'll look out the window and somebody randoms in our driveway. I have no idea who it is. They're talking for an hour. Oh, it's just a Facebook marketplace pickup, you know, it's just, yep, 
Okay. So there was one day back in Michigan, he was selling something, and he comes back, and I see a pistachio pie on the counter. And I didn't make the pistachio pie, and he didn't make the pistachio pie. And I said, Stephen, did you trade something for pistachio pie? <laughs> yeah. Well, what do you mean? Well, you know, I had that, that ceramic vase that you were going to, after moving, that you were going to sell. And the lady, she didn't have a car, and it, or she didn't have any money for it, but it just really meant something to her. So I just drove it up to Muskegon, and she gave me a pistachio pie. <laughs> okay, you gonna, are you going to eat that? Yeah. Do, do we know her? No. I love that pistachio pie. It is the kind of trade, the kind of exchange that doesn't make sense, right? It's a pistachio pie. It's the thing that doesn't work out on paper. And you know what? The, the mystery of grace and acceptance is that if we could work it out, it wouldn't mean as much, right? If we could solve it or see it or, or make the math work, it wouldn't really be as much of a gift. And that is the whole point, that being a new creation, somebody who is changed by this gift of grace reprograms everything about you. It invades every corner of your heart and of your being and being a new creation is not just one event that you draw a circle around and you walk away. And it's this thread that's woven through all of your relationships, your work, your family, your finances, all the sectors of life that you inhibit. Grace and acceptance is at the center. It's almost like the new access that your life turns on. So this means if you've received the grace, if you've received the gift, where you were once stingy with your money, you are generous. Where you once were selfish in your marriage, you serve your spouse. Where you were once critical with your kids, you are full of generosity and love and grace. You are building them up. Where you once were blind to places of injustice and brokenness in this world, you are aware, you are motivated, you are, you are advocating for change. Where once you looked to elevate yourself or your status, you now look to serve those around you, especially those in the margins. And I just wonder, when you're thinking about, man, am I somebody who's accepted my own grace? And you're here this morning, and you're trying to hide your mess. You're trying to wear a mask. You're trying to avoid your brokenness. You're just trying to not let anybody see what's really going on. I just want you to know that you'll never work your way out of your own brokenness. It'll just end up exhausting you. It's not going to work. And I just would encourage you to first consider Man, have I accepted the, the gift of grace in myself? A am I changed by what God has first done for me? Am I aware of the trade of, of the price he paid for me that doesn't fully work out or make sense? Has, has that changed me? Has that influenced my life, my behavior, my conversations? Acceptance of grace. If we bypass grace, we bypass the power of the gospel. So when we are tempted to withhold grace, so we first think about our own acceptance of grace, and then we think about giving away grace, the grace of acceptance. When we are tempted to withhold the grace that's been given to us and withhold that from people, I think sometimes, a lot of the time, it's not about that person or that group or that thing. It's really about us. I think the question we need to ask ourselves is what is it that causes us to withhold grace, withhold this grace, that, that, this gift that we've been given? I think sometimes um, we have an offense that we need to deal with. I think when we are withholding grace, we are holding onto an offense. 
Maybe there was something that hurt us, wounded us, broke us, that was never really justified. And so we kind of feel like, well, you know what, if that worked out in my life, like why would, I, why would I do something good for somebody else? Why would I give somebody what they don't deserve? I didn't get it. We hold on to this offense. I think sometimes when we withhold grace, we are holding on to comfort. I think there can be this idea among uh, Christians, among the church, that there's only so much love of God to go around. And if we give too, give too much love to this group of people or to that person or to that thing, well, then what does that mean for us? or my group, or my experience. Well, what does that mean for us then? Like there's this almost scarcity complex when it comes to the love of Jesus. And if we give the love to somebody else, well, then what does that mean for me? And how does that then define this, this side, if I go over to that side? I think when we withhold grace, we hold on to our own insecurity. I think some of us a lot of us probably have had this experience at one time or another. We, we use other people, our, our affinity in a group or the friends that we attract or the thing that we're about or what we're a part of as a way to prop ourselves up, to, to promote this like false self that we want people to know and hear about. And, and it's, a, it's a way that, that we feel better about ourselves. And if we were to let go of that and to walk into the territory of a different group or a different person or a different experience, well, then what would all the people over there think about me? What would my friends say about me? What would happen? Did you notice how the disciples were not with Jesus when he talked to the woman at the well? They were, they were out. They were like, we're going to bounce. This is not, we don't know what Jesus is doing. We're going to go and check on this situation later. Because there's this thought that if, if, we, if we broach this territory, now we've become part of this territory. And now what, what are all my people going to think about me? And really we're trying to feed this idea of our own insecurity, our own false self, our own acceptance, and we're trying to, to define it on something other than grace. So we make it our job to police people and their morality, or we have an agenda to keep our beliefs or our mindsets in a place of power. And I think as a church and as Christians, what we've done in some scenarios is, is, is we have underestimated the power of the Holy Spirit to convict and change and love and grow people. And we overestimate our judgments, our challenges, our corrections, our stances. And I think if we think about the, the gift that we've been given, man, that should really influence the way that we give grace. It's part of an ongoing relationship. You know, I'm, I'm not saying that there's never a place for accountability or challenge at all. But I think it's not the first thing that you do when you talk to somebody. It may even be the thing that you do only when asked to have a place in that relationship. And I think when we're thinking about correction and accountability and challenge, we have to also see ourselves from a place of no one has ever arrived. Neither of us have arrived. So as we engage on a journey and engage in a relationship with each other, man, we are both having a posture to, to learn from each other, to learn from God, and to see what he may be even teaching us as we engage on a journey with someone else. Does that make sense? That there is a place for an accountability. There is a place for a challenge, but it's out of relationship. It's out of love. And it's always from a posture of, man, what, what do I have to learn as well? It is an ongoing journey. It's out of relationship. When I was living in Michigan, so I went to Hope College in Holland, Michigan. I graduated, and I got a job where I was interning. And I was just this, like, 
little Christian college kid, just like ready to love the world, right? Just like little Bria, like here we go. And the, the town um, in Michigan that I lived in, Holland, Michigan, was just a more kind of conservative town. There were churches everywhere. It was just a, a high Christian conservative area. And I worked at this nonprofit organization really closely with the whole team. And we did really hard, really good, but really hard work. We worked um, with children and families who were experiencing abuse. And many of the people I worked with were not Christians. And it was really the first time that I had been kind of outside like the church bubble or the Christian bubble. And we were very close. We shared a lot about our families and our friends. Um, and we just knew each other in a different way because of the kind of work that we did and the time that we spent together. And there was a coworker of mine, and I just knew that she was always on the outs, that she wanted to be a part of the group, but that, that she wasn't. And I could see she was really guarded. And she knew that I went to church, she knew that I followed Jesus, there are some other people on our team that did, and she was just, she was guarded around us. And I just like kept getting the feeling that as we shared about our lives or our families, that she wasn't able to do that because she was gay. And I wondered how she felt around me but I, I wanted her to, to be a part of the group. I wanted her to be her authentic self. I knew that if she wasn't safe to be who she was, we would never be able to engage in a friendship. And um, so there was a time that we were at like a training. We had a little extra time together. And I had a moment with her. And we had just gotten out of a conversation where, again, everybody's kind of talking about their families. And I looked at her and I, and I said her name. And I said, hey, it's okay. It's okay. I, I want you to be able to talk about, like, your family and your relationships and your life, too. And she looked at me, and she thought about denying it. I could see, I could see the flicker. Like, she thought about, I don't know. And then she said, really? I said, yeah. I want to know more about you and who you are. I want you to be a part of, of, of this other piece of life here at work. I want you to be a part of it. And for two hours, this like bubbly person came out and she was just sharing about her story and her life and we talked and, and there's a side of her that I had never seen before. And as we engaged in relationship over time, I was able to share about, about my experience and my faith and we had a friendship and we did life together. And when I moved from Michigan and came to work here and I kind of communicated what I was doing, where I was going, that we had the opportunity to come start a campus, a place that was for anyone and everyone, a place that, that we really wanted people to feel safe. She contacted me. We hadn't talked in a while because I hadn't worked in that job for a long time. And she said, you know, I, I'm still not sure about church. I'm still not sure about following Jesus, but it gives me some hope that there's somebody like you still doing church out in the world. And I don't, I don't say that to, to like build myself up at all, but I really, when I was thinking about a story in my own life about grace and acceptance, it is just the most authentic thing that came to mind. Because at the very same time, I had another coworker. He was a Christian. Got along great. Loved him. He came into my office one day, and he had the local paper, the Holland Sentinel. And he said, Bria, look at this. This is so amazing. There was a Christian conservative organization that did like an editorial in the paper uh, taking a stance against homosexuality. He says, this is so great. Look, like, like they're standing up for truth. Like they're, stand, they're standing up for, for these biblical things. This is, this is so amazing. Like, isn't this great? And I, I thought about what he was saying and the, and the contrast 
between what he was saying and my conversations with my friend, who was, that was his friend too. And I said, you know, there's a place for stances and all kinds of things, and, and there's a place for, for that, but I just, I wonder what, how that makes our friend feel. Like, I wonder when she walks into the break room and she sees that on the table and she knows that we follow Jesus and we go to church, man, I just wonder how that makes her feel. Because, you know, it's one thing to take a stance. I think sometimes that's a little bit easier to do, but to be in relationship with somebody and to do life with them, it's messier and it's harder. And I think that's where sometimes the mystery of Jesus and of the gospel resides, at a place where we're trying to figure out what it means to, to be grace and truth. But when we're approaching people who don't know Jesus to, accept, to extend grace and acceptance first. And I wonder what it would be like to pursue people's stories over stances. I wonder what it would be like to make space at our tables for stories. I wonder if we even have room this morning for this not to be a talk on stances or on sexuality, but a talk on grace and acceptance. I wonder if we have room to set tables where people are able to share their stories. I mean, that's what Jesus did. When he went to Samaria and he approached the woman at the well, he wanted to hear her story. He approached her out of love. He wasn't correcting her behavior or challenging her morality. He was ex extending grace and acceptance out of love, even when the disciples deserted him. Later in the text, it says the disciples came back and they're kind of standing around like, Jesus, oh, he's talking to that woman. Oh, wait, like, should we go over? I don't know. I don't think so. This is awkward. Like, it was a whole thing. Because that's who Jesus was. He pursued stories. And as we think about our tables and our spaces, I wonder if there's just more of a tension that we can enter into, that we hold our beliefs and, and our stances, and we have room for a variety of those in different ways. But that at our tables, we are about people's stories for, with, with the intent to make more room for the love of Jesus, for the power of the gospel, for people to come and experience him, Christian people, non-Christian people, in new ways. I wonder that when we set the table, when we set a seat at our table, there's a safety for people to be authentically who they are, where they are, because that's what Jesus did for us. I was listening to um, a podcast the other day, and it was talking about, was these counselors, actually Debbie, recommended it to me. And it's these counselors talking about the power of a story. That in counseling, telling your story, going back and talking about your experiences, your highs, your lows, your, your wins, your traumas, that going back and really owning your story and helping people tell their stories can be so healing in this way that really nothing else can. And I was thinking about this whole idea of, of stories over stances of not policing people, but releasing people, of not worrying about my ideas being in power, but releasing the power of Jesus. I wonder about what, what kind of lands in this idea of these stories. And I'd love for us to be people who practice our own stories, other people's stories. And I think we can talk about these like beautiful ideas of anyone and everyone and set the table and get with people that you're not like, and, but then you get there and like, what do you do? You get there and there's somebody sitting next to you who you don't have anything in common with, and what do you do? Stories. 
I think, I think to practice this idea of grace and acceptance, once we've received it, one way that we can all step into a practice of grace and acceptance is just to learn how to engage in stories. I think the first thing is curiosity. When somebody's at your table, when they're in a space that you're in, you are just curious about them. You just want to know more about past the label, past the stereotype, past whatever first, you know, idea you had about them. You just want to know about who they are, about their life, about what they're passionate about, about what they do, just the humanity of stories. Just be curious. What that person says at your table does not automatically say something about you. Okay, y'all? What that person says does not make, does, you're just curious. It's theirs. We can separate ourselves a little bit, right? It's theirs. You just be curious. Ask a question. Engage in stories. Empathy. The ability to take yourself outside of your experience, your mindset, your way, and to join someone else's experience. Again, not saying that that is the gospel truth, but just the ability to step outside of your viewpoint and consider somebody else's experience. Consider what life feels like for them. Consider what that thing they're telling you about feels like for them. Wow, I haven't thought about it like that before. I haven't heard that before. Now, that doesn't mean that you accept it as your own. Empathy is about the ability to step into somebody else's story, to consider them, to care for them, to think about how that must have felt for them. And I think that's so important for us to do as followers of Jesus because that's what Jesus did. He stepped into other people's experiences. He didn't distance himself from the tax collector, from the leper, from the lame, from the demon-possessed. He was able to put himself in that, ex in how must it be like to suffer that way? He was moved by compassion. Do you know that healing and power flows from compassion? That when we are moved by compassion, Jesus has so much room to work and the gospel has so much room to reconcile. It is compassion that holds the power. Curiosity, empathy, no agenda. That when people are in your homes, in your spaces, that that's who they are, and they're there. And we want our space to be safe for people to show up as they are and to at the, and be able to engage in conversation and relationship with them that may continue over time. And so our, agen our agenda isn't to fix them or necessarily challenge them or to police them, but our agenda is to love them. Now, sometimes love meets hard conversations. We talked about that before, right? We talked about how that, that's oftentimes after engaging in relationship or when somebody has asked you to speak into their life or over a longer period of time. But we don't have an agenda at our tables. It's not necessarily to get them to church. It's not to make an invite. It's not to change them. It's not to police them. It's just to love them so that you, that you make space for that person and for you to have an experience of the gospel that you may not have had before unless you invited that person into your space. You know, what if, we, what if we viewed people as intentionally in our path when we go to work, when we go to school, when we go to the store, when we go to the park, when we go to the library, when we go to the places that we go, what if we intentionally viewed the people that we meet as intentional, orchestrated by God for them and for us? And as we go out, we carry this gift of grace and acceptance and we have the ability to share it in a way that helps people tell their stories versus just taking a stance right away at first. 
And I, I just believe that there is one person, that there is one way that as you head into this week, you can consider entering in into somebody's story in a way that you might not have before. And as you're doing that, you are mirroring the ways of Jesus. You are mirroring the power of the gospel. And I believe that there's more for us, there's more for the church, there's more for people around us as we step into stories and make that the center of our tables and spaces that are about grace and acceptance. Let's pray. Father, we love you so much. We just recognize the gift, the gift that you have given. We pray that in this moment, at this, at this very time, that, that you would just help each of our hearts just grapple with this idea of grace and acceptance first for us. I pray that in this room, that if there are any barriers to your grace, if there are any barriers to your acceptance, if there's anything that's standing up in the way, in Jesus' name, we pray that you would just demolish any stronghold, any pretension, anything that sets itself up against your truth and your way and your love. We pray, God, that you would just remind us of the grace that we've been given, that you would remind us of this acceptance that you extend to us. No matter what we do or don't do, no matter what we deserve or don't deserve, no matter how, how we've done or performed that day, but that you extend that, that gift to us first. Pray that you would give us interactions, conversations, bring to mind the gift that you've given us, remind us, re Help us remember your goodness and your faithfulness. Give us memories of your faithfulness in our lives. I pray, God, that as we seek to practice this idea of grace and acceptance, that we seek to practice the ways of Jesus, of approaching people who are on the fringes, of seeking out the person who is the misfit, of removing the label and seeing people for who they are and who you created them to be, I pray that you would just, that you would give us the grace and the power and the love as we pursue stories this week, as we set our tables this week, as we have conversations this week, as we think about the spaces that we are in this week. God, I pray that you would do something new that isn't, doesn't come from the government doesn't come from politics, doesn't come from a social system, but comes through relationships, just the way that you did. We pray that you would just help us um, to be people who model your way. We thank you for who you are. We thank you for what you've given us. We thank you for the fact that we are still learning and we can still learn and that's just part of the journey. And we thank you that you don't allow us to have arrived, that you take that burden from us. We thank you for the, the new that you invite us into. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Could you stand, church? Just want to, um, this week as we head out into all the places that we are, that we just think about this idea of stories, of empathy, and of curiosity, and that as we come together next week, we might even consider sharing with somebody else what we experienced, what we'd entered into, and just the ways that we're growing together. Does that sound good? All right. Go in grace and peace. Have an amazing week. We love you, Forest City. See you next week.